0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff After Hours: Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD. I retired as a detective sergeant out of Manhattan North Homicide Squad, one of the premier homicide squads in the city of New York. Uh, with me today, I've retired second-grade detective Phil Grimaldi from the 60 Squad in the Intelligence Division. How you doing, Phil? Pretty good. Thank you for having me back, Bill. It's great to have you guys here. And of course, everyone's favorite attorney, retired police officer, and now defense attorney, Joe Murray, former boxer, all-around handsome guy. Joe, welcome to the show.
1: Uh, Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, Philly.
0: You know, there's a a lot of uh, stuff going on. And like uh, when I I read some of the chat, and I I know that most of the people in the chat, they're not professional law enforcement personnel, and a lot of them are... uh, You know, they're they're YouTube uh, fans and they like to watch these shows and stuff. And I just like to let people know we're we're not going to solve this case from sitting in our armchair here, like watching a football game and said you would have, could have, should have, an armchair quarterback. But what we're saying is from our experience and from a police perspective. And some people in the chat have accused us of being heartless. I want to tell you a quick story. When I had the A-team of Manhattan North Homicide Squad, I got a call one Saturday morning there, there was a dead three-month-old at St. Luke's Hospital. Now, three months old, three-month-olds aren't supposed to die. So I went there with my whole team and we get there. And the, all the patrol officers from the 3 were mostly females, they were crying over this three-month-old baby. It was very emotional. And they they allowed the mother to hold the baby in the emergency room. And I right away was very concerned about that because. In essence, the baby is a crime scene. And I asked the nurse to very gently take the baby away from the mother. And at the simultaneously, I had my detectives remove the mother and father to the 3-0 detective squad. One of my most uh, best interviewers, Joe the Lip, and he got the name The Lip because he never shuts up. He was really grilling the doctor. Is there any signs of blunt trauma? Is there any signs of asphyxia? Do you think this is a natural death But even to the point where the doctor got very defensive, you know. Long story short, we went back to the three O squad a half hour later. The mother and father confessed to killing the baby; they so they smothered the baby to death. So the mean, bad homicide sergeant had no feelings, but ordered this to happen. No, I was doing my job, and our job is to investigate murder, and that turned out to be a murder. So you folks in the chat that think we have no soul or we have no heart, no, we Definitely have a heart. We've been all over the city of New York. We've all been 9/11 responders. We've pulled bodies out of the out of the uh, the turf at at, at um, the World Trade Center, Ground Zero. Uh, we've all we've pulled bodies out of fresh kills. We've seen more death than any of you. You know, uh, what do you call them? you keyboard warriors out there. All right. So I don't like to be accused of not having a heart. But having said that, look, there's, there's a lot of things wrong with this case. And one of the first things, and you you say anything about the timeline, everyone thinks they have the timeline down. No, you don't have the timeline down. You have the timeline down according to H and according to Candace, who both have been shown to be lying at different times. The only people that I hope have the timeline down to a science are the police, the TBI and the FBI, that they have timestamps the real timestamps that gets the timeline down to a science so that it can be used to refute the stories that we're hearing all over social media but right now we definitely do not have the timeline down so when all you armchair quarterbacks and all you social justice warriors out there are saying oh they don't know what they're talking no, we know exactly what we're talking about because we've been there a hundred times you know so I find it a little a little disconcerting that after 43 days, There is no true,
2: solid, rock-hard timeline. Phil, what do you think? Well, Bill, I'd first like to comment on that little story that you told. Um, I think that hits right to the heart of when you're a detective in the squad or you're a supervisor or you're assigned to a case, you're the advocate for the victim. And that's exactly what you were doing when you asked for that woman to, to give the baby over to the nurse's because there was a possibility that could have been foul play in that case. And sure enough, there was, and you were advocating for that victim. That little three month old baby was a victim. And that's what we do. We advocate for the victim and we we speak for the dead in a lot of cases. And in this case, we're trying to speak for Summer Wells. What I mean by that is we're not trying to, uh, we're not going to solve the case, as you said, but we can put reasonable expectation on the things that were already done and explain them. And we can also give our opinions on things that we think should be done. And we don't have access to the case folder. So we don't know exactly what is being done, but you brought up the, the, uh, the, uh, the time frame on uh, the day that little summer went missing. Now we have the information from Candace and from H and from Don, and it was Reported at 1830 hours on the 15th of June, which is 6.30 p.m. And we think, based on their interviews and the things that they've stated, that there was possibly a four-hour window or less that she was seen alive. Now, just because they showed that video of us sleeping in the back of the car, and they say the, the, the picture that was shown where... Uh, You showed it to the medical examiner, or or, uh, duty Ron showed it to the medical examiner, and we all agreed that she was alive in the picture. We don't know for certain that that video or that picture was taken on the day in question. The cell phone technology would have to back that up, would have to corroborate it. So, those are the things that we would expect as law enforcement officers that. The FBI, the TBI, and the local police would be doing. She gave statements that they were in the hospital from 8 o'clock in the morning with the grandmother. There needs to be a follow-up at the hospital with video cameras and interviews of the people at the hospital, which I'm sure were done. And then there was also, uh, they went to several stores. They were at the watering hole. All of those things need to be backed up. Now, if they did all of those things and they're certain and they're comfortable that they were telling the truth about that, then there's a four-hour window that we think that she was missing, that, that the missing took place. Now, to further go into Candace's statement, she said the kid was only out of her sight for two minutes. Now, the videos that were recently posted on YouTube, we saw the interview of Candace and we saw the interview of H. I think what that did for me showed me the inside of what was going on at the location. Now, one of the things that jumped out of me right away when we saw the video of the home, of of the location, of the house, the dogs immediately started barking when when, uh, the interviewer pulled up in his car. That told me that the chances that someone snuck onto the property and abducted Summer are very slim because there was a lot of activity going on. It was between 6.15, let's say, and 6.30 when they called the police, according to what they said. So there was a lot of activity. There The mother was in the trailer. Candace was in the trailer, went into the house. She only had her eyes off of Summer for two minutes, but there were the, the brothers were in the house. And they said she went down the basement. So that would mean that she would have had to go down the basement. Either somebody was waiting for her in the basement and took her out of there without being uh, alerted by the animals, by the dogs. Very, very unlikely. So we are working with a time frame that we think. But like you said, Bill, we really don't know what the time frame is. All of those things could have taken place the day before, let's say. We don't know for certain. That's why they need to do corroboration and follow up interviews to find out if that timeline is good or not.
0: Well, you know, it's, it's funny that, um, none of like, I only trust the timeline if it comes from law enforcement, I'm not trusting a timeline that's coming from YouTube, you know? So if the, if they, if law enforcement put out a time-stamped timeline, then I would accept that as gospel. But right now, I think the timeline is all over the place and there's tremendous inconsistencies. Joe, what do you think about that?
1: You know, I, I love what you guys are saying. And, and, uh, Part of what I believe is happening is that there is integrity in this investigation. They should not be revealing these exact details. And I look at it as a good thing that we don't have that ironclad timeline. Uh, It's part of the reason why law enforcement does what they do. When they interview uh, people of interest or witnesses, they do it separately. They never interview someone in front of another potential witness. Why? Because they want to know and they want to make sure the information they're getting from that particular witness is coming from that particular witness. It's not something that they heard another person say. But when you allow these statements to be heard by other witnesses, what does it do? It puts the other person on guard. Wait a minute. This person's contradicting me when I talk about going here or doing that. Now, if they ever were re-interviewed by law enforcement, they're going to have some canned answer ready to, to explain away why this is an inconsistency. We don't want that in law enforcement. We want to be able to confront them with inconsistencies, either witness, and then you know potentially Don looking at these two witnesses, H and Candace, when he gets questioned, what's his story going to be now after he gets to watch those two interviews? Right. It kind of takes away the credibility and integrity of the statements. And you really take weight away from them. You can't rely on them so much when they are collaborating, in essence. Yeah, I mean,
0: the integrity of a witness is that they that's why we interview witnesses separately they never get interviewed together yeah. but doing it, every witness that's and this gone one now
1: that's it's gone, gone. yeah because
0: they've, they've all heard what the, 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 the others internet. have said yeah it's it's and it sort of takes away the integrity of the investigation and I'm surprised that the police didn't bring her back in uh to to re-interview the other thing is is i i don't understand why they're so relying upon polygraphs i just That's never been my experience in 27 years on the police department and 16 in the detective bureau and 10 in homicide. We never, I never saw us use a polygraph once, not once, but it seems like they're relying on this, uh, this device that's, as you know, not acceptable in court. It's not admissible in court.
1: Yeah, it's definitely fallible. Human error, even in the person administering it may commit some kind of error. It's just not reliable. It's not admissible in court. It is a tool to be used in appropriate circumstances. Like even in my case, where I try to use it to vet out something, prove something, you know, in a lot of these cases, there's some really unusual facts. When somebody relates something to you and you go, excuse me, you know, what, what are you saying happened? I want to test those things out, you know, before I put myself out trying to uh, put forth this theory that, you know, is on its face hard to believe. So I'll do that, and I'll test that out, and I'll share that with a prosecutor if, you know, it's part of, appropriate in the discussion. So it is a tool to be used, but nothing should be used like that as ironclad, that this is exact uh, science. All right, you know,
0: one, other, one thing I want to bring up, too, I want to bring up investigative direction. Because anyone knows that's ever worked homicide before, that's important to go in a direction. And if that direction proves not to be feasible, you change direction. But I haven't changed direction since the beginning of this. I still think the answer lies within Candace and Don and the grandmother. And throw H back in there. I think they know what happened here. I really believe that. And in their circle, the answer lies within their circle. And I haven't deviated from that. A lot of people, you know, and I this doesn't mean anything in regards to the investigation, because people on the internet aren't uh consulted when they make an arrest on a case, you know. But a lot of people are being fooled by emotion. And that shouldn't come into this, you know. Uh what should come into this is investigative steps and 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 you know, checking evidence, checking backgrounds, interviews, interrogation, marrying the electronic evidence with the uh, verbal evidence and the statements. Phil, I could see you, your brain is is moving fast.
2: Yeah, uh, there's, there's so much to unpack with this recent uh, interviews that we saw on the internet, on, on YouTube. Um, there was obviously inconsistencies between H and Candace, one of which was H said that Candace went into a store, got twisted tea, and gave it to him, and he drank it. Now, she denied that. So one of the two is not telling the truth about that thing. There were some other inconsistencies that uh, about the timeline, which stores they went to first. Now, Joe had brought up a point the other day about how witnesses could be incorrect about thing Uh, maybe not lying or deceptive, but they were incorrect. So I'm okay with that. He said they went to this store first and she said they went to the other store first. That's okay. But her main theory to what happened does just does not make sense. She's only leaving a two minute window where she said she had eyes off of summer. Maybe it's five minutes. Well, we'll go with five or even 10 minutes, but the theory is not plausible Based on now, we got an insight. We saw the location. The, the, the YouTube video that we saw, they walked through the property. And, and so many things were revealed by, by that video that their, their story just doesn't make sense. Uh, the, the information that they're given is uh, really not plausible at this time. And the interviewer even asked, what do you think happened? And she she says that, you know, she she, she uh, states about uh, uh, sexual uh, uh, predators in the area uh, on the sex registry there's is uh, eight, eight minutes away and things like that. I just don't see that being, uh, you know, the cause of what happened to Summer. I, I just, I can't buy it at this point. It's very, very, very slim, I think, because as we saw when he went onto the property, The dogs began to bark and, and I think that, you know, they would have been raised up about that right away. You know, if she was so concerned about where summer was when she had eyes off for two minutes, if they heard barking or there was a a vehicle on the property, I think they would have been alerted to that, you know? Well, you know, uh, we'll get to the walkthrough
0: of the property uh, with, uh, with Chris. Um, And one of the things that you notice immediately is they had 13 dogs, 13 dogs. So, I don't know if the, you know, if the abduction theory is possible when you have 13 uh, dogs getting raised. If she walked out of that, you know, out of the basement, they would have been raised up. You'd have heard the dogs barking or they would have followed her, you know. So 13 dogs, not, you know, that's why I totally don't buy the abduction theory. And, uh, no, you know, no, even
2: can I make one other point, one yeah, other. Go ahead. Point. Go ahead. The, the whole abduction thing, I think, is like so minuscule at this point. And I said it in the last episode, the FBI, the TBI and the local police are involved in this thing. If they put credence into an abduction, I think they would have went public with that in some way, shape or form. And they would have alerted the people in the area that, they, yes, there, there was an abduction. Now, there, there's more, more than one reason for that. Obviously, to protect your children, keep an eye on them. But to make people alert, something happened in this area. Maybe there was something you noticed that, that was strange or unusual. So I think they would have gone with that. You know, that's where uh, uh, Joe was talking about keeping things close to the vest. They would have probably had a media, uh, you know, a, a press conference and alerted the, the people in that area if they thought that that was plausible right from the beginning.
0: Judy, Ron, thank you so much for the ten dollars super chat, nice. folks. If you like this show, police off the cuff, real crime stories, please hit the subscribe button, ring the bell, give us a thumbs up. Uh, we uh, we're working hard, trying to work. I'm bringing on these amazing guests. We even got an attorney here, and he gets like three hundred an hour. So I can't pay this guy. So you know, bringing him on <laughs> five hundred, whatever he's getting. That's the, the discounted rate. That's that's the New York rate. The five hundred fifty an hour, whatever they get. That's Joe, the, you uh, know,
1: off the cuff rate,
0: you off the cuff rate, yeah. The uh, so investigative direction, you want to comment about that?
1: Yeah, I, I would love to talk about that. I and I think you're 100 percent right. Right from the beginning, the eye, all eyes are on Candace because of her statements, because of her, her state of mind, and you know, intoxication. There are a lot of red flags that came up with Candace, and I think that would have been the direction to go. And then go outwards. But, you know, just talking about what Philly was mentioning, uh, she created this timeline. We're not talking about what you're talking about, the timestamp police timeline. Her timeline in her statement gives her two to five minutes of when she lost sight of Summer and discovered her missing. That's That's unbelievable. Now, when you think about it, she's saying that she was standing at a position somewhere between mom's trailer and her, I guess, front or back door, I couldn't tell, uh, where she calls out to the boys, hey, take care of sissy, she's on her way in. So you have to think that Summer didn't go right downstairs. She came in and she was with the boys and said hello. But even if it was just another couple seconds and then she went downstairs, they matter of factly told mom that she went downstairs. So the timeline shrinks even more, you know, and I have to believe that Candace was very candid and gave a lot of interviews that I'm sure she gave permission and the boys were interviewed and, you know, the police And FBI have their feelings about it, whether or not that's accurate or something they're going to go by. We don't know that. And we shouldn't know that. So, but even going with her timeline, what's the possibility. And I love doing this. I do it in all my cases, just in slow motion, try to play this out. And sometimes I even act it out. You know, when I have a case where the car stopped, I'll actually do it and I'll read the testimony and I'll hear what the officer said and what, In any event, do it here, do it right here. So she supposedly climbed down those stairs into her bedroom. And then at some point she tried to get out the door and she was saying even the door might be difficult for her to unlock and push through. But let's say she does all this, what does she do? She goes outside, both Don and Candace have said she would never leave the property. She knows we've told her about snakes and animals. And I have to believe, having two kids of my own, if I was telling them about, you know, snakes and other animals, they would be afraid to stray off because of that. I believe that. And both parents believe that. So then, what else could have happened? If you're going with an abduction theory, somebody had to be laying in wait right in the back. Hidden in the in the trees, waiting for her to pop out by herself. Now think about it. They had to, unless they were coordinating with someone to know when she was going to be home that day, they had to be waiting there a long time with all of those dogs around. How is it possible? How was it possible a stranger would be there laying on, you know in the weeds? And then when the person came out, the dogs wouldn't be all over that person. So just play it out again. Okay, what is that person going to do? You know, And then go back to that other issue where I think in H's interview, he says a phone call came in from Don and Don talked about there were guys around uh, the house that were touching the kids or something into that nature. If that's true and there was somebody sleeping in the shed or staying in the shed, then we have a suspect. We have somebody that the police and the FBI could have followed through with and checked that out. It's 40 something days later, I'm sure they've done that. And that went to a dead end. You know, like I'm just trying to play out any scenario that would make sense given her timeline and nothing fits. And I have to go back to, as you pointed out, it's very possible that she never made it home.
0: Yeah, that's been my feelings all along, that she never ha- has ever made it home. And it's so then the then the cold timeline cold. could could end at 2.30, 3 o'clock. Yeah. Because somewhere it's along true. there, she never made it home. And that's where I want the timeline to be, you know, just made much more stringent because right now it's just all over the place and it hasn't been verified to, to shrink it down to the when was she missing? I don't buy the 6.30 at night and just as I don't buy that she called her husband first instead of 911 1st I just thought, and then there was a, another a tape that I recently heard. Again, I don't know where it came from where a dispatcher said that she was on a walk and she discovered her, her um, daughter missing. So yes. all of these different factors that, again, aren't vetted. So I'm not going to put them down with a stamp and say they're true. But there's can, a lot of I things. Can I piggyback
2: are... back one thing that Joe said, uh, Bill? Absolutely. Thank you,
0: Uno Who Appreciate the 14.99
2: super chat. Thank you so much. We really appreciate that. Go ahead, Phil. Sorry. That's okay. Joe made such a great point about delaying in wait and Now, just think about it. It's 630 in the evening when they notice her missing and it's only a couple of minutes. So that would mean that it was daylight before when this alleged person uh, could have been laying in wait. And then how does that person know the exact moment that she's going to come out that basement door? Like, first of all, why would she even go out that door? It it seemed very unlikely. And, you know, that person just happens to be there in that moment. It's just really, really unlikely. And I, I think that, Joe, you made a great case for that. You know, I
0: wanted to, uh, now we we're talking about investigative direction, of course, we touched upon uh, the the timeline and everything. And one of the things that, again, we're not privy to is the electronic devices that warrants have been obtained to the cell phone data, the computer data. They've taken, you know, as H even said, they took everyone's phones. And for you folks in the, uh, in the chat that asked, how long does it take? You know, it could take... F- Three weeks, four, five weeks could take six weeks. The telephone company of these carriers, they're not in a hurry to do this for you, right? And um, on, on a case like this, they should make it a priority. But, you know, each phone, you have to go to that separate carrier. And there has to be a search warrant issued for that carrier. So none of this stuff happens quickly. And then they also have to include uh, the, the, the cell data, the cell site data, the text mm-hmm. messages, the voicemail, so each of those things have to be included on the search warrant. So, as I said, none of this it, stuff
1: they probably did a full phone extraction, taking everything—pictures, videos, you know, contacts. They extracted everything out of the phone.
0: A hundred percent, that because you'd hate to write up a warrant and say, "Oh, I forgot this. I forgot yeah. to ask for that." Right. You know, and you know, for you folks also, this stuff is not free to a police department. Uh, when I was on the job, it, they would it could cost anywhere from five hundred to a thousand dollars a day, and I'm sure it's more now. And because you're the police department, you know you don't get it for free. If they, they say no, okay, it'll be you, you. want the whole weekend? Okay, that'll be twelve hundred bucks, right? It's there's
2: nothing that's going to be free. So yeah, there, there's another part of it too. The per the telephone companies have to uh, give over this information, and then if it turns out to be very very Uh, uh, important information on a, on a prosecution that that telephone company has to have a representative that's going to be able to testify to the exactness of that information that they gave over to the police. So there's, there's, there's cost in this and, and those experts we get paid a lot of money. So, you know, there's there's big cost in these things. And if you dump a cell tower, and I know this from a, a previous case from five years ago, a cell tower has thousands and thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of records on it, depending on where the cell tower is. So sometimes they might try to get all the information at a cell tower. That's every phone in the area that's hitting that cell tower. That I know is about $10,000 and up to, to, to dump a cell tower. So, you know, you're talking about high cost. That's probably why the FBI is involved in this case and the TBI as well. I don't think the the budget of the small police department is going to be able to handle something like that. But you make a great point, Bill, that all of these things have to they take time and uh, they have to be looked at and examined and, uh, you know, put up against the statements that were previously made.
0: You know, we and we speak a lot about the technology that we're used to. And I don't know um, if, in fact, the small town police department is trained in how to do some of these things that we take for granted being big city police. You know, I'm sure that the FBI and the TBI, they, they're, they're versed in it. They're trained in it. Uh, For you guys listening, the New York city police department has a unit that's called TARU, which stands for technical assistance response unit. And they do a lot of our telephone work. They do a lot of our computer work. So they're experts at extracting that type of evidence. So all of these things, the New York City Police Department is so big, it has separate units for crime scene, separate units for emergency service. So all of those things, it's a very big, and again, it stands for Technical Assistance Response Unit. Joe, you seem like you want to say something.
1: You know, I just can't get away from this video that Chris did. And and one of the parts of that, uh, when he was on the property, he asked her about the shed. Right. And uh, she got a little, you know, protective of it. Well, no, it's kind of a mess. And, you know, I don't want you to get hurt. He was just going to look in it. She didn't even want him to look in it. Now, you might say, okay, it it might have some, you know, stuff in there. It's embarrassing or whatever. Then she brings him right downstairs to her bedroom with the mattress on the floor and, and Joe
0: Joe could you could you hold this because I want to get into this more yeah, deeply. Sure. But we, we got to go to a break and then we'll got get it. deeply into this folks police coffee is an officer owned business dedicated to crafting the finest coffees in blends uh one of the things it's to provide you with the freshest coffee available each batch is roasted fresh by people who know what it means to stay vigilant and our specialty coffees do not waste one drop when flavor is concerned. Our coffee is some of the best you'll find, but it also helps serve an important cause, giving back to our community. 50% of the profits goes towards helping family members of police officers who fell in the line of duty. To order from Police Coffee, you just go on policecoffee.com, go to their website. They have seven different types of coffee and loads of other products. And if you use the code, OTC, standing for off-the-cuff 10, you get a 10% discount. So go on the site, policecoffee.com, and order some coffee. It's a great product, and you're also doing a great thing for uh, police, or police families who are getting 50% of the profits for this.
2: Let me just get up here for a second, you guys. If you're in uh, need of a real estate agent in the Myrtle Beach area, Carol Waters is your girl. Carol Waters and her husband, Rob Mahan, who's a former NYPD, FDNY fire department in New York City. They're both million-dollar sellers down in Myrtle Beach. You can reach Carol or her husband at 914-261-6681. That's 914-261-6681. Or you can go to her email Carol waters sells MB at gmail.com that's Carol waters sells MB at gmail.com if you have need for a real estate agent in that area give them a call they'll definitely help you out and mention police off the cuff
0: I've never had the 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 subject of his own commercial go ahead Joe <laughs>
1: If you're ever in need of a good attorney, Joe Murray is your guy. Joe Murray proudly supports police off the cuff, and I support all things law enforcement. Uh, If you need an attorney, I'm your guy, and I'm happy to help you. Please call me at uh, 646-838-1702. Please feel welcome to check out my website, jmurray-law.com. Thank you very much.
0: That was great. Michael O'Keefe is a retired NYPD first grade detective, and he's the author of three novels, One Shot to Pieces, A Reckoning in Brooklyn, and Burnt to a Crisp. Order his books on Amazon.com or his website, MichaelO'KeefeAuthor.com. Michael O'Keefe was a police officer in the 3-4 precinct in 1992 who got in a violent altercation with a drug dealer named Kiko Garcia. They were involved in an armed combat and luckily Michael walked away alive and Kiko Garcia, uh, which was, uh, lost the battle and lost his life. Uh, the book, um, shot to pieces is somewhat autobiographical telling partly that story. So if you want some great books to read on the beach, uh, shot to pieces, a reckoning in Brooklyn and burnt to a Chris, Amazon.com or Michael O'Keefe author.com. Okay, guys. Let's get back to um, the search uh, of the house. Of Not really the search, the tour of the house. Uh, go ahead, Joe. You were talking about it before.
1: You know, before we even got into the house, I was just so, I was riveted by the fact that Chris wanted to check out the shed. And, and you know, kudos to Chris for, for having that investigator mind. Hey, what's this? What's that? I want to take a look. Well, she got very concerned about allowing him to look into that shed. And that should have just raised the hair on the back of his neck. And he, you know, decided not to pursue that. I think he could have pursued that a little harder. Um, but as we learned, she brought him in right after that, brought her him down to her bedroom in the basement and uh, had no problem showing him the interior of the house and the condition it was in. But it, it really just bothered me when we when we talk about that shed. Now here's the issue. I mean, Chris was probably thinking. I know the police have searched this place, uh, but we're talking a considerable amount of time later after the incident. I don't know if they've been back there since the initial search, and it might have been, you know, important to to see what was in there. So uh, that's something that really bugged me when I saw that. And I, I just, I wish he would have took it a step further.
0: You know, Joe, I, I as everyone knows, I, I was a NYPD police sergeant for 22 years out of my 27 years. And I was a sergeant that long because I couldn't pass a lieutenant's test. <laughs> <laughs> there was a famous cop in the 2-3 precinct. you used to always say, you know why I'm not a chief? And I would say, why? Because that damn sergeant's test. (laughs) That was Lee Pactor, who you know. I always always give everyone that that funny joke. But anyway, one of your responsibilities as a sergeant, obviously, is to go to homes of suspected child abuse. And the NYPD calls it neglected, abused, or maltreated children. And if I would have responded to this home on a job, I would have removed those kids just based on what i saw in that house i mean there seemed to be wires all over the place it would seem like you could get electrocuted you know and i'm not going to talk about her housekeeping which didn't exist but it just didn't seem like a safe place and when i also heard her say that her nine-year-old son wayland sleeps next to summer her five-year-old daughter to me that's not okay that's not an okay thing and i I can't wait to see someone in the chat say, oh, that's that's normal. No, it's not normal. That's not okay. So I'm just saying, maybe I'm getting off the subject a little bit, but I, if I was called to that home on any type of job, I would have removed those kids. And it took CPS, Ch- Child Protective Services, what, I don't know, 30-something days, 37, 38 days to remove these kids. I think they may have removed the kids based on – Hearing these shows on YouTube, people
2: saying, "Why aren't the, why are these kids still in this house?" Absolutely, Bill. I think you're making a great point. There was something else that jumped out at me about that interview. Um, walk through the house, whatever you want to call it, the interview. The interview when they were down by the water, hole as as well as in the house. Her demeanor seemed very. Uh, he was almost like walking her down the path of her be becoming emotional, and she never did. She seemed to be a matter-of-factly about the whole thing. And then she made a statement when she was talking about time. You know, I really don't he, – he asked her about, well, what time did you leave the house? Well, I really don't know the time. I don't pay attention to time. But yet she's very exact on she only took eyes off of Summer for about two minutes. So, I mean, you know, she's kind of contradicting herself. Her demeanor through the whole thing, I mean, he even brought up when they were in the house – oh, this must be the boys' room, or oh, this is where the boys were. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't even want to talk about that. And she didn't even, like, you know uh- – get emotional about it, bring it up, discuss it, nothing. I mean, you would think that she would say, oh, you know, they took my boys away from me for no reason or something. She she didn't even go there. So the whole thing uh, was, I don't know, it was kind of cold to me. Uh, if my five-year-old kid was missing, I, I can't even tell you how I would be. And this is 40 days in, and she was just to a matter of fact, for, for me with, uh, through the whole thing, walking through the house. I mean, they went into her bedroom, and she was saying, yeah, these are her toys and this and that. I mean, wouldn't that be cause for some type of an emotional outbreak, you know, an outburst from, from the mother? Filly, 100%. Me, you know?
0: 100%. DMB O'Shea, thank you for the $5 super chat. She, and D, DMB O'Shea says, shed means nothing. I wouldn't want to broadcast my husband's tools all over the internet for someone to see and then come to my shed and steal them. She
2: brought everything else out. What the hell? That doesn't yeah, make yeah exactly. I don't, I don't think she's that, she was that concerned sense.
0: with that, but Thank you for your comment. Uh, uh, Factual breakdown: a really great group of well-mannered, high-achieving kids who respect their teachers and respect our wonderful police are becoming a rock star with them. I I don't know if that was meant for me uh, or duty run, Um, folks. All you folks coming to our show from far away, identify yourself. Where you're coming from? I see Australia. I've seen uh, England. It's great to have you uh, on the show. If you're not subscribed, please hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell. And we also have a Patreon. If you'd like to join us and get uh, content that we don't give to everyone, you can join our Patreon. There's the uh, link to it, www.patreon.com slash cuff. We have three levels. For seven bucks a month, you're the bucket. For nine bucks a month, you can polish my rack. <laughs> And for $11 a month, the premiere you can be dipped in butter. And that's the premier one. So that's our Patreon. And, you know, we're also on Instagram. You want to contact us on Instagram or make a comment. We're all over the, uh, the Internet. You know, getting to – we're talking about the house, but we also – let's back up a little bit. The three boys were removed. Now, that is very significant, all right? Now, we don't know if CPS removed them because – Maybe they got nervous about all the stuff they were hearing on the Internet, on YouTube. Like, why are these kids still in that house? But don't forget, those three boys are very, very important witnesses. They can either corroborate that Summer was, yeah, she was home, or she never was home. Because now they can be interviewed, minus their parents leering over them or feeling threatened by their parents. Go ahead, Joe. I can see you got something to say.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely do. And, uh, you know, talking about the, uh, well, first of all, let me address that, the CPS thing. I really do think it was just them catching up with everything that's been reported on shows like yours and Duty Ron and, and Chris. I think they were just catching up and realizing, hey, I better do something. My job is on the line here. So, the, you know, their, their resources are just so limited uh, to begin with. So I don't think it's that significant that they removed the kids i think it, i'm glad they did but i don't think it had to do with the police uncovering something uh that they shared with uh the family you know cps uh that's would be in the petition and they would have notice of it right away i don't think that's the case uh, there may be information that they're aware of but i i don't think that's the case anyway Getting back to the, the video itself and and what was happening, I just want to point something out. And I love cops. And the minute I saw Chris, we actually were on duty, Ron's show together. And I love what he's doing. I saw his thing and I thought it was a brilliant idea. Him and Karen getting out there in the, in the RV, going to crime scenes. somebody with his experience. Beautiful. But then he just crossed the line with these interviews. Now, I want to bring something up. One of your your commenters or or chat people made a comment about the shed that she didn't want to reveal the tools in the shed because they become a target, right? Well, we know from Chris's editorial of his video that he edited a, a great deal of the videos Uh, on his own he didn't air them in their entirety so he could have taken that out or he could have just said I won't video it to go in there so I, I disagree with that and I also want to point out if you're worried about tools how come nobody was worried about H when Chris is interviewing a minor who has special needs this just drove me crazy And then he has him out a drug dealer on the video. Who cares? He bleeped out his name. You know, law enforcement is going to get that. He outed this drug dealer on a video that he put out on the Internet. This 15-year-old kid now, and then you heard about throwing gang signs. He just put a bullseye on this kid's back. I don't know why he didn't see that. We never out confidential informants or people that give information. We never do that. We protect them. He could have edited that out. What I'm really upset is he did edit that video, but he left that in there. Why would he do that? This kid has a target on his back. Any gangster would look at that as him being a rat and they would earn their stripes by going after him. I am so upset by that. And then I think he said it was a, a compilation of four hours that he edited down to one hour and you couldn't take that piece out? You wanna show everyone that this kid H is a rat and he's given up a drug dealer? I cannot believe that. It just it, it infuriates me. So I, I, I didn't come on your show to do this and I, I, I apologize. But just as a former law enforcement officer and an attorney who deals with this, I'm a criminal attorney. We deal with confidential informants all the time. This is a 15-year-old special needs kid. And you outed him for giving up a drug dealer. What what are you thinking about? You know, Joe,
2: he probably didn't even do it intentionally, the kid. He's a 15-year-old kid and he's special needs, as you said. You know, he might have forgot the camera was even on and just started talking to this guy, you know, who's a stranger from the area. So it's really it, it was a poor choice. Absolutely, I agree with you, Joe. It's it's you know, outrageous, it's not a actually. The whole Whether
1: happening. he has a right to do it, he says, "Well, investigative journalists journalists do this. Yes, they have a First Amendment right to go there and do it. But as a former detective, knowing what you know and have seen." How could you? How could you do that? It's so horrible. Anyone, if anyone, some nitwit journalist does it, I can excuse away. He doesn't realize what he's doing. I can't do that with Chris McDonough. I just can't. And I'm so furious about that. Let's yeah, I that.
0: mean, look, I, I. uh, I'm a little surprised that these interviews are going out because these are all principles. These are all principles in this case and their information really should be kept confidential and just the police should know about it. That's all I'm going to say about it. Bella Chihuahua Hernandez Miller. Thank you for the 499 super chat folks. We all, um, our goal in this case, obviously the best case scenario would be that summer is recovered alive, but We don't like the way that this case presents itself. And a lot of the people interviewing uh, Candace and Don, they're they're having this this sympathetic tenor toward them. And, you know, this is a a potential homicide investigation. It's it's not about sympathy towards them. It's It's about finding out the truth and finding out who's responsible for the disappearance of a five year old child named Summer Wells. That's what we're, and I, as I said again, we view, we're giving our opinions from a police perspective, and we're not, we're on our soapbox. We're not going to solve this case. It's not our job,
2: but we're just commenting on the investigation. Phil, go ahead. I just want to piggyback something Joe said, uh, with regard to confidential informants or witnesses. I mean, that's like number one in my office. Uh, when I worked in Brooklyn, uh, we had some, uh, interaction with organized crime with the mafia and there were, you know, some, uh, informants, that compromised over time. And one of them was killed that I can remember exactly. And there was, uh, we, we had joint investigation with the NYPD, the DEA, and the FBI. And there was a uh, an agent from the DEA that was so upset about it, he actually retired because this informant was killed. And it wasn't because of anything that the law enforcement did. There, were, there was, it turned out there was someone that gave information to organized crime that had nothing to do with the, uh, uh, you know, with the FBI or the NYPD or the DEA. So I, I think you make a great point, Joe. That you really have an obligation if you're going to be a stand-up detective and a stand-up investigator to protect those people and keep their information confidential as much as you can. So it, it was probably an oversight on his part, but uh, not good. Totally not good. Um, Getting back to the, to the investigation a little bit. Um, There was something about Candace in that video where she mentioned about she she went to take a polygraph the the first time. And and I know, Bill, you don't like the whole polygraph thing, but she said that she didn't take it the first time because she was nervous or whatever. It sounded like she, you know, was too... uh, Maybe she was too high or, or too drunk or whatever it was. And then she says she passed the second one. We don't know that to be true. Till law enforcement says, yeah, she took a polygraph and she passed it. And that's not even 100%. We know they're not admissible in court. I just want to point that out. We Those are her words. We don't know that that's true. And everything that's coming out of her mouth needs to be corroborated. Everything.
0: You know, people in the chat are even saying, and uh, look, when I investigated homicides, investigated shootings, it's very difficult to get people to cooperate because the old uh, thing in the hood, snitches get stitches. So to out a witness is is the, one of the most dangerous things you can do in, in the homicide investigation. And, um, you know, I guess enough said. I'm not looking to beat the guy down. God's Country 16, uh, thank you for the $5 super chat. Something is up with Candace and H, the way she dresses and behaves like a teen boy sc- uh, screams grooming behavior. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that are wrong with this, and I, we want to talk about what we, our experience, where it brings us, where we think this investigation is going. Not, you know, we're not into what people are wearing or this person said that, and, and because nothing right now is vetted, that we can't say concretely. Like we started this show with the timeline. No one has a solid solid timeline because it's all coming from the mouth of two or three or four potential liars. So till we get the absolute truth vetted, we, we can't give a, a timeline that we say is concrete. This is what happened at this hour and that hour and that hour. We can't do that yet. Here's another one that I, I that uh, is another investigative resource that we've basically heard nothing about. the grandmother. Why, hasn't, why haven't we heard anything from the grandmother? Has she been interviewed, you know? And look, I would think, and I, the police would have interviewed her because she's, she's a huge part of this. The whole story about planting the flowers, which I don't buy that story for one bit either. Um, the grandma's an, an, an integral part of that. And you know, we ha- again, we haven't, where is the grandmother right now? We
2: haven't heard anything about the grandmother. Bill, what do you think? Well, the grandmother obviously is very important in this investigation because she was home and there was uh, talk that, uh, you know, she was in the hospital uh, earlier that day. And, you know, one of the uh, comments that I read uh, from the show the other day, and they made a great point, they said that she went to the hospital and then they went and brought brought the prescription for painkillers to the Walgreens. So when they picked up those painkillers and they've obviously admitted to, according to H, drinking uh, uh, twisted teas. So maybe there was some ingestion of these painkillers and drinking. So a lot of things could have happened, you know. But going back to what we were talking about with Chris's show, I want to point out something. We're not criticizing Chris or what he does in his show. As a matter of fact, we gave him the benefit of the doubt in the last episode that we did about a week ago with Duty Run where we said, you know, We're certain that he got uh, permission from the investigators to do these interviews or whatever. So him being a professional, uh, you know, former homicide detective, he obviously would know better. And we gave him the benefit of doubt. So there's no criticism here. We're pointing out what we would do, our opinions as far as what we would do in the case and trying to keep uh, integrity in the case, I think is, you know, obviously very important. Going back to the grandmother, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear what she had to say. There would have been a lot of different angles. I would have asked her about, uh, you know, what happened that day. Obviously, all of those different things. And, uh, you know, uh, how did she feel about the way Summer was being raised? And then I would I would try to corroborate the statements that she made with friends of hers. She has to have other family members or friends. And then Joe pointed out something, and it was brought up in the uh, in the interview that uh, was on Chris's show. The sister was missing too, The uh, Candace's sister. So like you said, Joe, lightning striking twice, the whole thing just, uh, it really doesn't sit well with me. You know, there's just, there's something obviously much more here. And I think that of course we don't have the intimate knowledge of the case by having the case folder. There may be some tremendous lies that they've already uh, corroborated, uh, uh, that people told lies, and they're just not moving further with any uh, criminal charges or anything like that because there's no remains found and like that. They don't know the whereabouts of summer yet. So they're moving methodically. I'm hoping and I'm praying that they're doing all these things. And and I'm hoping and praying that there's a, a much better direction than we know from the media. Lieutenant Peter Pranzo, Harlem
0: Raiders, a superstar, NYPD legend. Thank you for the $5 super chat. Lieutenant Pete says, great insight from the panel tonight. Thank you, Lieutenant Pete. Uh, it's always appreciated. Um Jack Meeker, just to say H. had already discussed that same info in another video before Chris. It had been talked about already. I think Chris is thoughtful. We're not saying he's not thoughtful. We, we, well, you heard what uh, Joe Murray said.
1: Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't want anyone to misinterpret what I'm saying. I I think it's – I support all law enforcement. I'm on duty Run show all the time. I'm on police off the cuff. I, I advertise on police off the cuff. I love doing and helping cops. I supported Chris. I signed up as a subscriber at the highest level. I love what he's doing. He has this RV, him and Karen, they go out and they show you the terrain. They show you that he walked through. He actually followed the path of where they went and what they, I thought it was brilliant. But when you, first of all, you're broadcasting these interviews it's so harmful to the case when you do that because you're pointing out for the, you know, he's doing what I do kind of as a defense attorney. Anytime my client is going to testify somewhere, I walk them through the facts. I do a mock interview. I question them. Now, Chris really has no knowledge of the, the case file, so he's really doing what I do as a defense attorney to prep my client. I'll walk through a questioning and a mock interrogation just on the facts that I know about. But the problem is law enforcement has a case file of much more facts, hard facts that Chris doesn't know. And they can use these inconsistencies to then try to pressure them to get to the truth. They can't do that when Chris has now broadcast these interviews. It really taints the information, for me even, if I was to interview a witness. I want to interview the witness who saw what what happened, and they're telling me what they saw, not what they heard another witness say. Oh, yeah, I heard this guy say that. I'll say this. Or he's contradicting me here, so I'll answer that this way. It just destroys the integrity of their statements. I think it's terrible, and this whole issue with H and outing a drug dealer. I don't care if you beep out his name. It's just you shouldn't do it. But I do love Chris. I love him and Karen what they're doing. It's just that he went too far. And and I think it really hurt. God help us. I hope it doesn't hurt, you know, H. But I think it hurts the case. I don't want to belabor that I'm sorry if I if I went too far with that, but it just bothered me. So you talked about investigative direction. Why don't we go back to that? Because I can't move from it because Candace is the last person alleged to have seen these kids and she's giving this narrow timeline, but what possibly could have happened? Let's back that up now, just leaving aside that that maybe she's wrong in the time frame. Let's try to play out what could have happened. Now, if this is an abduction, an organized thing where some sexual predator that's roaming around the neighborhood was plotting and planning to abduct her, what would he do or she, he or or she working together? What would that person do? Would they just walk up on the property and snatch her? Would they have a car parked nearby? I mean, try to think of a theory And then look for how you can detect that theory or rule it out. Would they have to have a car? Where were they going to bring her? Did they have some kind of dungeon set up for her? Was she just going to be shipped out? You know, and then also in those interviews, there was never any discussion from Candace ever about people living on the property that I'm aware of. Maybe in the chat, if anyone heard her say that elsewhere, there was never a discussion about, people other people living on the property uh even about when h brought up that phone call where don says these guys who are touching kids they're around you gotta start to wonder why they were talking about that you know and 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 even the video the tiktok video is this real did it really happen or was it set up just to show okay i want to document this is the last thing we have to document. Well, you know, know, Joe,
0: that's that's what's so frustrating is that we don't know what is true on this case and what's just fluff and all. There's just so many things coming in, especially with the electronic age and the age of the Internet and all this stuff. Rumors become fact and and fact become rumors, you know. so well, it's, For those
1: uh, that really believe Candace, I I hear so many people and I, even in comments, I, I talk to people, they really believe her. It was a heartfelt interview and they believe her. What is your theory? How did somebody get past all these dogs? Nobody ever noticed the dogs barking. There was no discussion about that. Candace didn't say, then I heard the dogs going wild and I ran outside. No, that's not what she said. There was no discussion of the dogs nobody heard her screaming so what 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 do we think if we believe Candace what possibly could have happened in that short time frame I'm not ruling out something happened but what could have happened what's the theory that makes sense how the body whether living or dead is nowhere to be found there's no traces of it Nobody heard from her. There was no screaming. There was no yelling. Where, where is any evidence that she was there?
0: No, there, there, you're right. There isn't. There isn't evidence that she ever got back to the house either. And all the things you're saying, like, you know, if if how she reported it is true, then why didn't this happen? Why didn't that happen? And again, the three boys are very valuable uh you know witnesses and now that they're in the custody of cps i hope they get a clear concise statement from all three of them glamour witch official thank you for the ten dollar super chat she writes New York state of mind none can compare to our law enforcement can't get those can't, can't get those skills anywhere else store out straight out of the Bronx love you guys thank you for all you have done and continue to do God bless thank you very much glamour witch and the twelve-step woman, thank you so much for the 4.99 super chat. Thank you guys for all your support. If you're not subscribed, the police off the cuff, real crime stories. Please hit the subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and ring that bell. Uh, you know, a lot of the things too with the um, with the house was you know that 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 little tour of the house was, um, and the first thing I thought of also did law enforcement on the 15th of June, do a thorough search of this house. That's the first thing that came to my mind. I can't answer that. I mean, as I've said numerous times, in a missing person case, uh, missing person 101 is to search the the location where the missing person is reported missing from. That's the first thing that they're supposed to do.
2: You you would think, Bill, that, there would be the search uh, obviously the first day, but once the TBI and the FBI got involved, I'm sure they might've went over it. I would think that that would be uh imperative right, right away to do to, to, to that. You know, um, there, there was something in the interview that Chris did when he was at the house, he asked Candace what she believed happened or what the police believe. And she just shrugged the shoulders and said, I, I, I don't know like that, you know? So the, the whole thing, um, You know know, uh, something, Phil, let
0: me just interrupt you for one second. But one thing she also did, she referred to Summer in the past tense again Yeah, in that interview. I don't know if you guys noticed it, but she she referred
2: to her. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that. And I think that Chris's interview did so many good things for this case, for the people that watched, you know, because it gave us the feeling of being there. We got to see the exact layout, not just a picture from, you know, uh, Google maps or something. And he walked through, as Joe said, he walked through everything. And I think it was, it was a very good interview. Gave us a lot of information. Um, I still don't like the answers she gave. I still don't like her demeanor. I don't like the, uh, the fact that all those dogs were there. There, There's just so many things that lead me to believe that she was deceptive in the story she gave and, I think, uh, Bill, you pointed this out many times. The kids, the brothers are probably imperative to what took place that day and the grandmother as well. And um, I, I guess uh, we're going to have to wait and see just how this case goes. But uh, I don't uh, see any possibility of, uh, of an abduction. And that's what and Don seem to be uh, you know, pointing towards all the time. 5P,
0: thank you so much for the $20 Super Chat. Thank you for your support. Folks, if you're not subscribers, please subscribe, ring the bell, give us a thumbs up. Look, this case is, I think, is is complicated, yet it's not that complicated. And I think that um, the police, again, we're, we're, we're beating a dead horse. They have information that we don't. They have information that's not out there in the public domain. And I, look, my feelings, I haven't changed my opinion based on the search and seeing the interior of that house, I still think Candace and Don are involved, you know? And that is my opinion based on my police experience, based on 16 years in the detective bureau, 10 years in homicide and 27 years on the NYPD. That is my opinion. And, you know, uh, I just think that that's where the focus of this investigation should be, 100%.
1: I agree yeah, I, have to say, I agree with you because the, the timeline is her own timeline just makes it so improbable that, you know, what she's alleging is that somebody, you know, took her. Uh, it, it's, it's just so improbable. You know, whether she's covering up something bad that happened, I don't know. I don't know. It's, I guess it's possible. So most of the day what she said was truthful and and it happened, but I, I don't wanna second guess law enforcement in any way, but you know, when we do find out eventually as this case, because I do think it'll be solved, it's just gonna take some time. I wonder, I wonder why she asked Summer to go with her and not any of the other boys, you know, to with grandma at the hospital and then to go swimming You know, why was it just Summer? And then why was she alone coming back? Why didn't she bring uh, H back with, I mean, they're supposed to be so close. And the boys were at home and H was looking to get out of the house. Why wouldn't she bring him back? And it's just some problems I have with her rendition of what happened. Not anyone else's, her rendition. And it's all pointing to she knows more. She's not telling us the whole story. I, I, God help me, I'm not accusing her yet, but I'm just looking at the obvious facts that are pointing to her. She has to have more information. It doesn't make sense, the story she gave us, the timeline. You know, just explain why you wouldn't bring H back to the house. Why wouldn't you? you know, just knowing what we know now about that. And why isn't that an issue? You know, so many things bother me. And I think your your investigative direction was right from the beginning. And I'm still with you.
0: Yeah, I, I don't see a reason. And uh, we've, we've uh, said many times that if the direction needs to be changed, we can we can do that. We can totally retool and go in another direction. But It hasn't, my investigative direction, based on what I've seen, uh, it hasn't changed. I'm still in the
2: same direction as uh, I was on June 15th, you know? Yeah, there's one thing that I want to point out. Now, let's just erase what she told us. Let's just put that out of our minds for a second. Just look now, I saw in, in one of the comments in the chat, if my five year old was missing, I wouldn't even be able to speak. Now she's done several interviews, and I've seen interviews where a kid is abducted and, and and missing, and usually the parent that's given an interview or begging for the child to be returned is completely emotional and, you know, is frantic. She never displayed that kind of emotion. So that alone All the other things that we pointed out, all the other inconsistencies. And one other thing I want to point out about the interview that Chris did he brings up H to Candace and he says to her, Did you have feelings for him? There was something he made some kind of remark almost to be uh, to say that was there some type of romantic feelings between the two of them. She became very offended by that and said, Oh, no, absolutely not. So who knows? But she is reaching out to a 15 year old boy to come and hang out with them during the day. I'm not trying to make any uh cast any aspersions or anything like that. But she did become a little bit uneasy when he brought that up. So almost like it had been said before. So who knows what was going on between those two. But uh yeah, her just I, I even I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say in one of the interviews she looked like she was completely stoned. Okay. She was high, she was on pills, whatever. She didn't cry, she didn't get emotional. But then when she did this other interview which was fresh, I mean, the, the kids were removed at that point. The daughter is missing 40 days and she doesn't even shed a tear. I don't know. The whole thing, it's just, it's given me a creepy feeling.
0: Phil, so you know something about instincts? They're always correct, you know, yep. and that's where you go with your instincts. And uh, it's uh, instincts aren't the only thing. There's lots of other things. There's reasoning, there's weighing the evidence, there's looking at the totality of all of all what we've heard and that's how you make it look i've run hundreds of homicide investigations and, and i ran the, the case and i had, i had six detectives in the homicide squad and squad detectives so i know what i'm doing you know i know what i'm talking about and this this case the direction is what we're talking about it's that it's the correct direction and so many people like in these chats are are, are feeling sorry for these people but you know something it's They they don't have the experience we have. I'll put it that way.
2: Let's feel sorry Um, for summer. That's what we got to feel sorry for. Exactly. Vet girl, thank you
0: so much for the 999 super chat. It's, um, you know, look, homicide investigation is a contact sport, you know, and it's, well, it's not a sport. I shouldn't put it that way, but it's not an easy thing. And you take, you take hits to your, you know, your, your persona. We feel too, you know, We cry. When things bad happen, happens, we cry too. But we also have to keep a level head and do our investigation, make our investigative checks, do what's feasible, weigh the evidence and act accordingly. I told the story when we first started about the three-month-old dead baby. You know, that's horrible for anyone to have to see. But our job is not to get emotionally involved. It's to do our job and do the investigation. And we can get emotional once the case is brought to conclusion. Yeah,
1: Joe. Can I I ask you, I mean, I would love to go through what she was saying, you know, once she got out of the car and she went over to mom's and was bringing the groceries and doing that stuff. She seemed to be overly careful about, you know, leaving no time gap in any way. Like she said, I had her, I had uh, Candace. Uh, Candace says that I had someone with me, and then I was going. She wanted to go back to the house, so she was. I walked out, and she got halfway over there, and then called out to the boys. Did that seem credible to you guys? Because it to me, it seemed like she was, you know, overstating it. I mean, if you're living up on top of this hill. There's no one around. You just walked out of the car. why would you cut it's sunny out the dogs are there why would you walk her out halfway to the house and then go okay boys watch out for a sissy i don't believe that because it's not credible i think she said sure you want to go home go home if if that happened so i'm curious the people in the chat who saw that video what they thought about that? Did you really believe that she walked her by the hand halfway there, and then watched her go up the stairs? You know, it I don't buy. Like, I don't
0: buy any of that. That that's it's overdone. It's way yeah, overdone. Yeah. Somebody,
1: that, you know what that sounds like? Somebody who has an ACS case. You know, yeah, they have a CPS yeah. case, and they're worried. Uh oh, I can't allow them to see me do anything wrong. So she factored that into her story. But when you think about we're talking about her missing child, that she would lie about facts in an investigation regarding her missing child, it starts to fall apart on me. know yeah, Joe, you're 100% why,
2: right.
0: I just want to a read great a comment.
2: Observation. That's a great observation, Joe. Absolutely. Yeah, let, One last ahead, point. I just the distance between the grandmother's trailer and the house is maybe 15, 20 yards. So you're hundred percent right, Joe, they were outside planting or whatever. I'm going to go home. Okay. And you know, the kid turns and walks a few yards and she's in the house. That was definitely uh, like a stage response or, or, or she, she thought that out in her head before she answered that question. She, she was ready for that.
0: one. Joe, you're hundred you know, percent right. And I'll get back to it in one second. I just want sure. to read this comment. Retired Sergeant Melinda Policing each other is a good thing, not bad nor personal. Thank you, Bill, Phil, Duty Ron, Attorney Joe Murray, and my daddy for honesty. Stop jumping on the panel. 50 years combined experience and most solved. Listen, uh, that's part of this game. You know, when you want to criticize us, we've had worse things happen to us. We've been shot at. You know, we've had people hit us with things. You know, so whatever you say in these comments, you know, sticks and stones, you know. And, Joe, getting back, that was a beautiful observation. You're, it's I, I quoted Shakespeare again, and I'll do it again. You doth protesteth too much. <laughs> and that's exactly what she was doing by pretending that she went over, above and beyond. Yes, I walked her the 20 yards to the
2: house, said, boys, why? it didn't make
1: any yeah, sense that don't whatsoever. Make
2: sense it don't sense. It, it don't okay. make sense at all.
1: And when you talk about that, you're lying about, The last minutes of seeing your daughter, if you're capable of doing that, then what else are you lying about? If you're going to risk the integrity of this investigation because you're, you're, you know, putting forth fake facts because you're more worried about the CPS case. I gotta say that, you know, it really deflates her credibility with me that she's not more worried about, Hey, listen, if I did something horrible and my kid disappeared, I'll dive on the sword. I want my kid found. I'll deal with that problem later. That's not what I'm getting from her. She's more worried about covering her CYA than revealing the truth of what happened. That's why it, it just bugs me. I know she knows more. She may not have been the bad actor, but she's covering it up. She's hiding something. And and I I think you know sooner or later that's going to be revealed.
0: You know, Joy, you're you're 150 percent correct. She because people that aren't hiding things don't lie; they tell the truth. You know, and there's so many instances where her what she said could be challenged,
2: and it was it was a lie. So you know. Bill, I look forward to the comments and I even look forward to some of the criticisms because I think that when we do get a criticism, we answer it by saying, well, the reason I said what I said was because of this or that. And there's been some great comments, like the comment about uh, the grandmother being in the hospital and then they went to the drugstore and they picked up pain medication. We don't know what happened in those few hours. Maybe they were getting high, they were eating these pills and, and they were you know, blotto somewhere and some horrible thing happened to the kid and then they went to cover it up. So there's some great points. And like I said, I I don't mind the a comment or a criticism, and anybody wants the criticism I think we have we're big enough we we have thick enough skin we've been in the police department we've been in the thick of things like you said shootouts and all the other things that we've saw and done so we're big boys we can handle it and I look forward to a, a comment or a criticism and answering it out is not an issue for me at all and I don't think it's for any of us
0: no Phil, you know like and you Phil, they know you're they know you're coming straight out of Brooklyn so they're a little they're a little <laughs> intimidated. <laughs> They were a little intimidated with that anyway, and you know something. There's there's a lot of reasons to be intimidated of this guy too. You know, yeah. yeah. Not only was he an attorney, but he was a heavyweight fighter, so you got to be a little afraid of him too. You know,
1: Bill. I don't know if you want to entertain this, but I I was just spitballing, trying to come up with possible, you know, things that are happening. As long as we make that clear, I don't want anyone to think that we know something. But I I was just bothered so much by the fact that H wanted to be with them. He wanted to get out of the house. How long were they together? What would have been the problem bringing him back to their house? But that didn't happen for a reason, for some reason, I believe. So where did they go to after that? A drug dealer, did they go somewhere? Did they get high? Did they leave her in the back of the car? during this, you know, midday heat with her coat on, you know, did some tragedy before her, you know, while she was, you know, high and intoxicated. I, and I'm just trying to come up with what could, how do we explain these facts that we know that seem a little out of the ordinary, like H being dropped off and not invited back. I mean, all the boys were home. Hunter was gonna be home. I mean, Hunter. Um, Summer was going to be home with the boys and they were going to, I guess, watch TV and play. Like that's <laughs> what they were going to do. So that bothers me that he wasn't invited back, especially that he wanted to be out. And he's like, you know, a stepchild. So right. maybe there was another plan for what they were going to do. And, and you, know, you know what else is an interesting thing I'd like to
2: know? What's, what's a source of income? I mean, maybe they got this prescription. They went and was selling the pills because uh, oxycodone pills could go for like $10 a piece. So maybe... Maybe, they're, they're, maybe that's one of the components of this missing case, you know? Uh, where did their source of income c- come from? I mean, she talked about, yeah, we were going to buy vapes. I'm going to buy this and that. Sounds like a lot of money was being spent that day. I don't know. You know, just it seems a little odd, you know? So there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. We're not getting the right answers from Candace or from Don. And I would love to know what the boys and the mom had to say as well as uh, many other people
0: absolutely no guys uh, I I want to thank you so much for uh coming on the show uh Joe you you have such um a different perspective even than most law enforcement guys because you're seeing the other side being a defense attorney and I really appreciate your your analysis uh it's really thoughtful and it's uh it, it's really a great addition to the show and Phil you know I can't say enough about you you uh, and people love that you're straight out of Brooklyn, you know, and the the, the Joe Pesci angle. They love it, you know. And, I, you know, I just say, look, we're, we're going to stay with this case. Hopefully we're going to have a uh, a conclusion at some point, a uh, closure. And um, as I said before, the investigative direction, I'm still going with the same, my, my same uh, investigative direction. Final comments, uh, Joe? Joe?
1: You know, I, I I love what you do. I love that this is really focusing on victims and, you know, trying to help the victim just like you did as a homicide uh, sergeant. Uh, Philly, even though he's in a two-clip location, he puts that aside. <laughs> and he, he's, he's right there on the money with his analysis. I love being a part of the show, and, and I support what you do. I just want to give one quick shout-out to Mike Colon. Mike Colon. Great guy, has his own uh, show, Mike from New Haven, Mike from New Haven. And he had me on the show and he did a whole like bio on me. So I, I absolutely loved it. If anyone wants more information about Madman Murray, go right to Mike and uh, and check out his show.
0: You know, Joe, I always say this all the time and I really do mean it. Mike Colon, MC's audio, is is a great broadcaster. Yes. I'm surprised he hasn't been picked up by a TV station because he really is that good. He does more research than anyone I know, and I, I mean, I want to help the kid uh, advance because I think I think the world of him. I really do.
1: I, I agree with you. Like when I was talking to him on the show, I was talking about I was assigned in Midtown North, and then you know we were jumping across across rooftops, and and he's like, "Did you ever think about you know maybe you kind of got hurt with some of that stuff?" I said, "Yeah, because." You know anthony dwyer from midtown south the neighboring precinct was thrown off a roof during that time and it was very sobering because you know and, and tragic and he knew everything about it he's like yes uh anthony dwyer he was thrown off the roof he didn't die right away he suffered he was in pain like mike he does incredible research for all of his guests to prepare and have on hand the questions to ask and and the facts about it. So I, I was just I agree with you. He's a brilliant um, you know, broadcaster. Katie it's funny Jean. Bro- go ahead. go Katie ahead. Jean, thank try. you for the 199 super chat. Do
0: you think Candace was being honest at all? No, I don't think she's told uh, one bit of truth this whole during this entire investigation. Phil, what do you think? It's funny that Joe
2: brought up uh MC's audio. I'm doing his show I think next uh, not this Tuesday, next Tuesday. So uh yeah I'm looking, yeah. you you guys you
0: guys are moonlighting on
2: me <laughs> <laughs> well I, I gotta also say this Bill made some good points about uh, how Joe gives the perspective from both sides of the law enforcement. And I really like it because it gives me a little bit more insight. You know, they they say you learn something new every day. And I think Joe's uh, having the law enforcement, uh, Uh, you know, education. And now he's got the legal education from being an attorney. I love to hear both sides of it because he's making a lot of great points. And I think it's a, it's a great addition to the show. And I just, I I like spirited debate. I I, I don't like when somebody agrees with everything I say. I like when people point things out, we all seem to be on the same page, but I think that uh, the perspective that we're getting from Joe is really uh, invaluable Uh, as regards to the case. Uh, Let's get to a conclusion with this. Let's find some, uh, you know, hopefully she would be alive. But let's get to a conclusion and pray for uh, for some, you know, some closure in this case.
0: Factual breakdown. Thank you for the $5 super chat. We love Police Off The Cuff, Bill, Phil, and the amazing Joe Murray. Hey, don't give Joe Murray a big head because before you know it, he's going to slap up a shingle and do his own (laughs) show. And then I won't be able to have him as a guest all the time.
1: Shout you know? out to Shannon, her daughter Shannon who's a budding law student there. So, you know, Shannon,
0: factual breakdown, your daughter Shannon, you're a budding law student. It's a good profession and uh Joe's knocking down 600 an hour now. So, yeah, just <laughs> <laughs> he went up. He went up. He went up. I gave him a raise during the show. First it was 350. You got a raise to 250 an hour, you know? That's so, true. you know, folks, uh we're going to stay on this case till uh It gets solved, you know, and I think it will get solved. I really do. And I just thank all you folks who support us. And, you know, look, support all the other channels, too. Get a different perspective. Get a different point of view.
1: Bill, I just got to say, Chris McDonough, call me. You have a brilliant show. You have a brilliant model that you're following. You just got to rein it in. I'm happy to help you. I support all law enforcement. Please call me. Thanks, Bill.
0: Joe, call me. No, <laughs> call me too, Joe. <laughs> Listen, folks, I guess uh, you guys had your, the last word. We're, we're an hour and, um, hour and 24 minutes. I thought this was a spectacular show. It was a great panel. I think, you know, we gave our opinions. Uh, we didn't hold anything back. And I just, as a host of Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories, I'm proud to have both you guys on the show. All you folks that were in the chat and listening tonight, Thank you so much for supporting us, and have
2: a great night. Stay safe, everybody. Good night.